0: Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, ich habe mein Handy verloren. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentGerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox. How are you, Simon? Yeah, I'm doing alright, mate. Doing alright. How are you? I'm tired. I'm real tired. Baby problems. Yeah, Nick got baby problems. Sleeping patterns, weird weather. That affects people. And I never thought I'd be one of those people who would be like, yeah, the weather, the moon... All of this stuff impacts the way you are. But I do, I think it does have some sort of impact on sleeping patterns.
1: So have you realigned the crystals in your
0: baby's room (laughs) to triangulate the weather systems? That's ridiculous, man. Of course not. I just burned some sage in the four corners of every (laughs) room. Nah, it's just, I think you just sort of deal with it. We live in a house that's quite stuffy. It's one of those houses that's really cold in winter and stuffy in summer, which is like the perfect Mm -hmm. combination, right? (laughs) Dealing with that doesn't really help with not feeling totally wrecked the fun thing about being sleep deprived is that you feel a bit like everything's not real <laughs> like everything's just happened to you it's like Am okay. I hallucinating, or is this is this actually happening at this present moment? So, I mean, some people pay a lot of money for that kind of feeling. So, yeah, I guess that's what I was thinking. Yeah. They should tell more people about: it. have kids, get sleep deprived, start hallucinating. <laughs> Small rabbits are talking to you about like the price of cheese. Definitely not detrimental for job performance or. Don't think so.
1: Handling heavy machinery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, like I seemed pretty angry I was trying to drive that tractor the other day, but yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but what, why am I complaining to you about sleep deprivation? You've probably. Had like 14 hours. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, my, my wife's away this weekend, so I did stay up a little later than normal playing on my new Xbox. So I didn't get as much. Shut up. Normal. Shut up. Stop talking about your fun yeah. stuff. <laughs> nah, nah. And, and obviously, this week we got to see each other. That was really cool. Yeah. We got to hang out for a bit face to face. I suppose the reason we were able to do that is because I finally got a vaccination. Indeed. So I can stop. Bitching and moaning on Twitter about not getting a vaccination. i got my second jab on Tuesday. Liverpool oh, yeah. Being fully ge-impfed. It's all happening. It's all happening.
1: Yeah, obviously we have to get used to the real world again. And I think a, a nice example of this was when I took you to the train station after I left you near your platform. You called me and asked, which one is it? <laughs> I was
0: like, which... Which direction is it? And you went north. Yeah. And I said, like, I don't know where north is. I'll just get my compass out. This is not an answer you want to to give your inebriated friend at a train platform.
1: I mean, there were only two platforms. And I'm pretty sure only one train was coming at that time. So I think you would have been okay if you hadn't called.
0: There was like an anxiety about it. And I don't know why I had that. But I did feel a bit anxious about getting on a train. I mean,
1: I, I used the S-Bahn two weeks ago for the first time in a couple of months. And I was really shocked by how many people weren't wearing their masks really yeah multiple people and i found that rude first of all i think it's just the most obnoxious behavior it makes me super edgy and then when i got on the u bahn like it was busy standing near people but everyone was wearing their mask and that took the edge right off until the rules change like just wear your mask don't be a dick There was one woman who was not wearing a mask and then talking loudly across the aisle to someone else so it's like her spewing her her germs and detritus across the whole thing and yeah i, I really hated her <laughs> for 20 minutes i hated that one yeah i mean it's the whole
0: thing with the people who have got the vaccine and people who haven't as that group of people who've had the vaccine gets larger and larger the more likely you're gonna get for these sorts of things to happen people feeling like why should i have to wear a mask if i have got the vaccine or and you don't really know who's got it and who hasn't talking about vaccine passports and stuff but just follow the rules until they're not they're not in place anymore it's not that hard but most of the people I was around had everyone had masks on the train when I got it and everyone at the Hauptbahnhof did except for some like kid as I was leaving he was sort of he had a proper swagger and i, I always whenever I see someone with a swagger I remember something like one of my Scottish mates said to us when I lived in Scotland <laughs> and this kid came walking past with like a mad swagger and my mate turned to him and went uh wait, where'd you buy your swagger from? Like, <laughs> it was just like, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's what I saw. But he was, I think he was just trying to be like hard in front of his mate like most of everyone else was was pretty well masked up yeah it's something we're probably gonna have to deal with more aren't we yeah
1: i mean you do catch teenagers pulling a b- bit of fabric over their face like twisting their hood around and uh, that will do I-, I can kind of understand the instinct for sure i don't want to wear a mask either we can be very thankful that we live in germany where you can just say like phrases like Ordnung muss sein, yeah, yeah. Or understood gospel i think in the uk it's a much much tougher subject approach and i think people are far more defensive about it i think if you said to someone here where most people will but I, I wouldn't dream of challenging anyone back in the UK because you don't know what kind of radical flipping out might happen when someone's infringing on personal sovereign rights or whatever Brexit propaganda lingo they're gonna have up their sleeve But
0: there's an element of that here. I think that's totally legit. I get the instinct of like the mandated masks. It feels extreme and it felt extreme when it was introduced, but ultimately what it was was very clear. The minister president for Bayern uh, marcus Marcus was just clear about it. he was like the now is mm. gonna be this mask mandate and you're gonna you're gonna have to follow it. And just clear that there was a mask mandate, more than anything. It's not so much clear about the detail, but like this, this is going to happen. And then all the shops followed suit. And once the shop don't let you in and they have people on the doors, which most shops did, sort of bounces on doors saying, like, put your mask on, that's when people start following the rules. It wasn't that hard. Didn't feel like I was in a police state, particularly. If they'd done that in Britain, it probably would have ended up the same. because the health minister was too busy grabbing ass. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's probably right. I mean, yeah, we, we, we try and avoid
1: politics and stuff, but I mean, yeah, fuck Mac Hancock.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, we don't, we're charging headfirst into it, kicking the door down, going like, rubbing the politics all over our faces, (laughs) like a dirty protest. Okay, well we tell ourselves we're trying
1: not to get too political. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matt Hancock can get fucked.
0: That's what was the difference for my mind, was just everyone understood what they were being told. The messaging was pretty clear. There was The science which was generally at the forefront of it. But you're always going to get people who are denied. I think now it's beginning to slip because people are getting the vaccine. I think even people who have been quite supportive of yeah. the whole process are now saying, oh, come on, let's open up. Let's open the shops up. Let's open all the bars and restaurants. Let's get the sex clubs opened. <laughs> all the stuff that the Germans love so much. I think that's pretty much the natural course of events. I'd guess. I'm pretty sure New York State had to provide
1: guidance because the prostitution isn't legal in New York, but it's, it's decriminalising, you won't get prosecuted for it. So they had to like release guidelines for something that isn't technically legal. And one of the, the things they highlighted was orgies. <laughs> <laughs> they said, ideally, you no know, face-to-face action and uh, in a ventilated space. I can't say I've frequented <laughs> many orgies, but
0: what, one of the things I was thinking when you said that was, Really, how much face-to-face action do you need to worry about in Orgy? I think it's rather face to some other part of the anatomy <laughs> that you need to be concerned about. We're entering an interesting moment because we've got an election, we've got all this sort of ending of the pandemic, vaccinations. We just see what happens. Interesting times, mate. Yeah. Not sure if it's positive, but it's interesting. <laughs> Anyway, moving on, it's now time for my esteemed co-host Simon to drop some release date-themed knowledge on all of us. We've already celebrated Baron von Schlammenstein himself, Dirk Nowitzki, and JFK's Donuts, and we've avoided talking about a single one of the significant military dates from the 40s. So yay us! Yay Germany! Only plane sailing here on Decades From Home. We are blessed with another significant sportsman's birthday this week, and luckily for us, he has publicly described himself as an Anglophile. He's a twofer. So, Simon, who are we talking about this week? That's right.
1: July 3rd is the release date for episode 30. And this coincides with the birthday of the F1 great Sebastian Vettel. I'm going to take the reins on this one, as Nick doesn't give much weight to F1, whereas I'm mildly interested, and that's good enough for us. Born in Heppenheim, Hesse, Sebastian is, of course, a German racing car driver who competes in Formula 1 for Aston Martin and he's previously driven for BMW Zalba, Toro Rosso, Red Bull and Ferrari. And Vettel has of course had a huge amount of success, four World Drivers Championship titles which he won consecutively from 2010 to 2013. Vettel has the third most race victories at 53 and podium finishes at 122 and the fourth most pole position. So it's safe to say He's pretty darn good. No Lewis Hamilton, though. But who is? (laughs) Vettel signed for Ferrari uh, in 2015 and became Mercedes's and Lewis Hamilton's closest challenger in two title fights in 2017 and 2018. Sadly for him, he finished both of those years as a runner-up, but thankfully for us, the great Lewis Hamilton won both of those championships.
0: Because you said that I didn't know, well, I wasn't a big fan, but I did do some research because, hell, I'm not going to let you do all the heavy lifting. I've got 10 lesser-known facts about Sebastian Vettel. Now, I'm not going to do all 10, but what I've realised is he must be really, really good at F1 because super boring (laughs) facts like that. I was kind of hoping I'd find some sort of interesting anecdotes there's that story about michael schumacher having a resting heart rate that's slower when he's driving than when he's asleep or something like that i'm not sure how apocryphal it is but you get that sense that to be an f1 driver you're basically like a nasa astronaut you have to have like a mad understanding of the physics of the vehicle and all of this stuff and you can't just be a pissed up lunatic like they were in the 60s and 70s no definitely not that
1: era like the james hunt Alcohol and tobacco era was yeah. fantastic to watch, but of course, a lot of people died back then. I think you have to be a little bit of like a, a psychopath to be that, that focused. Mm-hmm. The strain of your body is one thing, but
0: the mental fortitude required to do two and a half hours of driving. Don't you want to know a really good fact about? about Vettel that you might not know. Hit me with right, it. Right, get yeah. this, right? You might be surprised by this little nugget of information, but he's a fan of Enzo Ferrari. <laughs> Is he really? <laughs> and I, I, just I like... imagine he's the only Formula One driver. As a fan yeah, yeah, him. no one cares about that guy. Like <laughs> He wanted to sing. That was another one. And then it's just like a list, a laundry list of achievements that he's, that he's had. His test driver and winning things, driving with Ferrari. Um, he almost chopped his finger off, or he did chop his finger off. It's all very sort of... <laughs> you like, it's sort of good, I guess. It's good that it's not just him, sort of, he fell off a cruise ship in the middle of the Indian Ocean while parting with, like, 700 prostitutes. (laughs) sounds like slander to me. It's good that it's not that, you know, I guess it's good that it's not that, but at the same time, you kind of wish that there was a, a little bit more drama in there, but... Yeah, what are going to do? Anyway, that's not why we came here it's to no, talk No, it's really about. not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of the really nice things
1: about Sebastian, he refers to himself and has often been referred to in the press as an anglophile, publicly praising British comedy and music. In particular, of course, those are two of our biggest cultural exports. Uh, the comedy he has cited as being the most important to him is Monty Python. It's pretty hard to argue with Monty Python being... A sort of really significant thing. I mean, it introduces a certain quirkiness and silliness that's beloved by a large number of British comedy fans. So, what are your thoughts on Monty Python?
0: No one, none of my family watched it particularly, but th- they all watched BBC Two Friday comedy, Young Ones, all the stuff that that wouldn't have existed if it hadn't been for Monty Python. And then I discovered Monty Python. I think when we got cable and they started doing reruns of it on the Paramount channel, and I watched it all, and I watched all the films. But the problem I have with Monty Python is you can talk about it, but as soon as you start talking about it in detail, there's like a British aversion to specifically Monty Python jokes men of a certain age doing references to Monty Python or quoting Monty Python do you not think there's a weird hang up about that
1: yeah absolutely I think there are
0: a couple of very sort of quotable things especially
1: in the movies I'm thinking he's not the messiah he's a very naughty boy oh he's he's done it now he's quoting it (laughs) I am I'm I'm stepping into the breach Uh, tis tis not a scratch come back here and I'll bite your legs off these are phrases that are just have been been so over you and of course the success of the movies is sort of part of that uh, I'm not going to say knee <laughs> like, I'm not,
0: not going to say <laughs> knee <laughs> I think
1: for me what I really loved was I mean my dad got me into the movies when I was young and I watched them thinking that visually they were funny and then as you get older you get into the sort of the play on words and the double meaning and sort of the hidden sexuality and all that kind of stuff but the TV show is what I love the most because it's just so mad this so obscure tangential links that make zero sense and aren't needed. To. Or literally
0: no links at all. Like that that's the no. sort of the beauty of it. Or is it just go from random stuff to random stuff. One of my favorite things was the, the world hide and seek championships. It's just, <laughs> it's just so good. Like so just clever little ideas and uh, it, it, it's, it's really, really important. But like I said, it's, it's the foundation for a lot of stuff that probably we enjoy and, and, and mm-hmm. we watched when were much younger the alternative comedy that was massive in the 80s and sort of birthed most of the comedians that are on tv now was inspired by that kind of surreal british weirdness i mean there would be no mighty boosh oh yeah certainly what? not there wouldn't be any of that <laughs> so it wasn't python This sort of obscure <laughs> comedy that seemed to resonate with loads of people live show they did in the hollywood bowl that was just like just all these people laughing at these quite weird almost like specifically british jokes i wonder what it was like before Monty Python, whether Britain was so well-known for its humour. I think Monty Python might be a massive part of why people think the British are particularly adept at humour or how like the British sense of humour is, is particularly special. I think language-wise, Monty Python are probably the most important. But
1: visually, I think we've got to give it to Mr, Mr. Rowan Atkinson and Mr Bean. Mm. It's shown all over the world. Everyone knows Rowan Atkinson and Mr Bean. It shows that you can be funny without language, uh, which I think is something that most comedians would naturally sort of have a go at. But, I mean, yeah, I think those are sort of the two most iconic British series that everyone
0: goes, oh, yeah, the English are funny. You, would, you wouldn't say Mr Bean was, like, British humour per se, though, would you? Like, it's British situations. I wouldn't sort of say that slapstick... Yeah, but it's not slapstick
1: compared to, like, the Marx Brothers and stuff. Like, it's pretty tied down in comparison like yeah silly things happen but it's not like pie in the face swinging around a ladder trying not to hit each other and i think obviously the visuals are so british like the mini cooper the way he dressed like his pajamas yeah. like it all rang so true like my granddad dressed <laughs> and behaved in
0: many ways like mr Beams. <laughs> <laughs> suppose you're right maybe maybe you've got a point I always sort of perceived it as like the reason it was internationally successful well first and foremost it doesn't have any speech that it needs to synchronise you can just play it as is because there's no one ever talks in it except once or twice there'll be like a secondary character i think he said teddy a couple of times as well (laughs) 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 we were on a ferry or something going from somewhere in italy to somewhere else i can't remember where it was it was a short trip it was about an hour but they had tv show running and the two shows that they had were america's home videos looped with like a laughing track and mr bean everyone could watch it and not there was no language needed, you know, and I found that really interesting that there was all these people from all these different areas all laughing at the same thing.
1: Anyway, enough enough about Mr. Bean and Rowan Atkinson, let's get it back to Python, uh, because here we do have A nice little link for us. I mean, one of the most interesting things for our podcast when it comes to Monty Python, the Python crew are pretty much the only UK comedy troupe to perform their comedy in German. So Monty Python, not having any actual German speakers, had to learn their 1971 Monty Python's Fliegende Circus Uh, for Faudi air phonetically. This led to troubles with troop members timing and their German accents, and this led to the decision to record the second episode in English. Only John Cleese and Michael Palin really delivered their lines in German well enough to be easily understood by native speakers. The other Python performers all have a very thick accent, particularly Jones, making them really difficult to understand. In some cases, the episode was broadcast with German subtitles. Eric Idle has described the conception of the specials as the Germans came to us and said, "Look." We haven't got a sense of humour, but we understand you do. Can we use yours? it's pretty scathing and it does fall into uh, the stereotype of Germans having a sense of humour
0: is he insulting them or is he insulting himself I think with Eric Idle it's layers insulting <laughs> the Germans but also saying like they've got no sense of humour and they think we're funny yeah who knows who knows I mean it's impressive that they did it for sure and, and uh, there's a few bits where they've clearly filmed in, in Munich and some of their films as well a lot of it was in Bavaria yeah the, the, when you were talking about the accents being difficult for some of the members of Monty Python that definitely resonated with me I was <laughs> like I'm
1: not alone well I mean the only Anyone who sort of in in the below the line comments on YouTube and things like that who always gets complimented is John Cleese and his German does sound very very good. I assumed that he was a qualified German speaker like he must have had an A level or something but it turns out no, he he learnt it phonetically. The best example of them speaking German is the sketch called Bavarian Restaurant which is, is very iconic. And it's very funny for us because we occasionally go to a Bavarian restaurant and there is elements of buffoonery. (laughs) Almost exclusively. (laughs) So the good news was that this foray into German comedy and the raft of films and TV hours produced by the Pythons was inspirational for a young Sebastian. So we're back to Mr. Vettel now. And he said in an interview with GQ, it's not politically correct, it's dirty, it's quick, I like all that. To wrap all that up, I guess we're going to say happy birthday, Herr Wettel. Herzlichen Glückwunsch and viel Erfolg in die nächste Rennrad.
0: Yeah, alles Gute zum Geburtstag. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, come
1: on, um, you're kind of impressed. We've been talking for a little while now and we have avoided to talk even for a second about football. I'm not going to lie, this has taken great restraint on our part. However, we've paid our dues and the wait is over. It's football time! Woo! <laughs> While prepping for this episode, big things have taken place. England have, by the grace of God, avoided the embarrassment of dropping out of the group stages or giving a truly shocking performance. It's been pretty solid. Sure, it's not been the high flying feather in your cap football being put on show by France and Italy, but it's been pragmatic effective and has avoided a loss at the hands of scotland which really could have been a stick we would have been beaten with for the rest of our lives
0: it's not been very exciting two wins two wins in the draw take it every time but that's
1: that's inc- that's wonderful it's
0: really it's been calming it's not like any football tournament i've ever watched because obviously you can't really have the sort of football experiences you usually have but it's been nice been a nice distraction just been able to turn the tv on and find a random game of international football. I had some nice football yesterday. I had a, a nice radler. Enjoyed myself in the sun, watching the Danes beat the Welsh, which was a shame for the Welsh, obviously, but it was an enjoyable thing to do. I just, yeah, I love that aspect of summer football, alcohol. There's just a lovely combination. Yeah. That's probably why we spend so much time talking about it, because it's the majority of what we're doing at the moment.
1: So as Euro lovers, both the continent and the tournament, we allow ourselves a whole host of second- third and fourth teams to support, an instinct fine-tuned from having too many eggs in the England basket in tournaments of our childhood. I, due to my family lineage, am a big fan of Wales, sadly went out last night as Nick said. I'm also, thanks to the likes of Moussa Dembele, Jan Vertonghen, Nasir Chadli and Toby Aldewald, a huge fan of Belgium. All of those lovely listed men having donned the shirt of my beloved Tottenham Hotspurs and Belgium pass me the water and a pint of duvel a <laughs> few uh, what's a what's a water's water, zo, water zoe, water zoe yeah. i guess is my, yeah oh, that's how i'm guessing uh this is a stew dish uh, from belgium originating in flanders
0: yeah well, that looks looks quite nice fair enough they
1: yeah, can have chicken batter um yeah I'll, t- I'll take the
0: pint of duvel maybe um Uh, definitely
1: yeah Yeah, let's not get into Belgian beer we did beer last week (laughs) truth is I have zero England shirts I'm not a very good England fan I do have three lovely Belgian ones though so I am definitely betraying my people and after Wales and Belgium for me there's only one obvious choice and that of course is Germany so that's my first second third and fourth team so Nick what are your backup plans (laughs) who's your second third and fourth
0: team so in previous tournaments what's happened is I've really wanted to support Germany but the last World Cup they went out in the group stages I was left without a safety net which was rather stressful as England progressed to the semi-finals and went out to Croatia obviously with the game upcoming with England versus Germany whoever wins I'll I'll, I'll get to support one of those going forward but I guess Scotland I always want them to do well I don't know how I choose my teams I guess it would be if like you if you had a team that had a significant amount of players from your club team but given that mm-hmm. my club team's Newcastle United, there isn't a vast amount of international talent on display in that, in that squad. So uh, I obviously wanted Wales to do well, Scotland to do well. I was surprised by how strongly I felt about Germany when they played. I don't usually feel that strongly about other teams, but I did feel very much like I was supporting my, my own national team. So that was quite a nice feeling. So that citizenship card is
1: kicking in hard from your wallet?
0: <laughs> I think so. I think so. It's, I, I was I was kind of taken aback at how annoyed I was and how I, I was feeling like the remit of emotions. I mean, previous, again, tournaments, I watched Germany and wanted them to win. I'd quite happily flick through my phone or do something else while the game's on, whereas I was kind of super focused and I only ever get super focused on football when it's a team I'm supporting. So that's a good sign. Mm. If it's like a game of football, I'm usually just half paying attention to it and then going, woo, when there's a goal. I guess now. <laughs> it's England Germany or
1: bust I think one of the really nice things about these kinds of tournaments is that you can go into a game at the start thinking you support one team and then maybe the other team performs such an underdog or there's passion on show I mean yeah I think yeah everyone truth. now has a little bit totally of extra love for Denmark because of what happened to Eriksen in the opening game we will them to do better uh, because of the, the hardship they're faced mm-hmm. last night there were definitely a lot of extra Austria fans I think everyone went in wanting Italy to do well, but Austria really put on a great showing. And yeah, next tournament, I'm going to have a softer spot in my heart for them. I think this is the nice thing. You can kind of suddenly just become a fan of football as opposed to the teams on the pitch uh, and suddenly your allegiance can switch. I'm going into Belgium Portugal in a couple of days, way before the recording goes out, thinking I'm a Belgian fan, but let's see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) So as England fans, we've always known, deep down in our hearts, that the best way for us to experience winning the World Cup, or any major tournament for that matter, was to support at least one extra team. As it happens, the two of us watched the final of the 2014 World Cup together in the pub where we first met. Glory be to Goetze. Uh, His goal scored and the final whistle blown. We were both led to Plera, uh, a transport depot on the southwest edge of the old town Nuremberg. Thousands assembled and partied like they had won the World Cup because they actually bloody had. <laughs> we were both swept up in this wave of joy and partied until we were both sick. Good times. I, I remember that right. We were both sick. Maybe not that. No,
0: time. I wasn't sick because I had you to go. To, I had to go to work the next day.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I had to
0: go to work as so well, I was definitely no. We I, I had a fair <laughs> few drinks, but again, I was. I had my Germany top and I supported Germany and I cheered when Goethe scored and I was happy when we got to celebrate it. But it was. It kind of felt a bit sham. I wasn't really part of it, whereas I feel more part of that experience now. Yeah, it was just, it was weird. It was like, oh, this is what it's like. Like <laughs> how happy they all are. I was like, all oh, right, this is what happens when you win a World Cup, because I guess I'd never thought about what happens. And now when I think about if we won the World Cup, that's the image, except it would just be you and me and the player Trying to dodge trams because no one's going to stop for us because it's just two England fans and in the middle of Germany going, "Yay, we won!" <laughs> <laughs> oh, like loads of cars driving around, beeping the horns. That's quite typical as well. I heard loads last night for the Italy game. I swept up for it, but my real memory of it was driving to work and I was get got to work and I was like, "Well, there's going to be no one in. Everyone will be like hungover and celebrating and dead happy. And it'll be like a nice relaxed day." And I got into work. And it was class after class after class full attendance no one like half of them had had like one beer no some of them hadn't even watched the game and i was just like oh god <laughs> what's going on like i couldn't understand it. it was sort of couldn't fathom it those people you go like oh do you not watch the game ah oh, well I, I really only like winter sports <laughs> like, what is oh. the memory that always comes back to us is that experience of the day after and just everyone was at work no one had took a day off no one took a city it was it was hilarious
1: if England win this tournament, which is odds are not good, but if they did, like the nation would be closed the next day. There's no way that any teacher <laughs> would have full classrooms. If
0: you've got English members of staff in in your employee, in your German company, if they get to the final of any tournament, doesn't matter if they like football or not, they should just go. The, the employees should just go. Ah, right, tomorrow you get the day off. You just have a day off to recover from from whether you've won or not. Uh, even if you don't care. Like, I think it should be sort of legit. If the if you've got people in your company who are from a different company, if it was like Finland got to the final or uh, the Czech Republic got the final, just be like, aye, tomorrow you get a day off, like, free. <laughs> it should be a sort of stipulated rule. Workers' council should get on it. I'd be all for it, but I think it's pretty unrealistic that we'll even get to the final before we even have to worry about getting a day off. for Yeah, that. <laughs> I have been going around just going, we're not going to do it, but... There's always part of you, isn't there? There's always part of you that's like, maybe, maybe, if the gods of football yeah. are with us, maybe things will turn out all right. Of course, listener, you'll know more than us. You're probably laughing at us right now. Exactly. we might, we're uh, talking with. <laughs> Look at his hope. <laughs> look at his dreams. <laughs> Screw you, Nick. Anyway... Now the nation that has given us our homes, our partners and a taste of what it might feel like to win a major tournament has turned up again and England and Germany are due to face each other on the 29th which is this coming Tuesday four days before we publish this episode So there are two realities ahead of us This is uh, Schrodinger's football match This is either the happiest we will be all summer before we get smashed by the Mannschaft, or there's about to be a whole new wave of joy in our podcasts as we change tact and spend each episode talking not about Germany, but about the glorious victory of 2021. (laughs) What is certain, though, is that the UK Press will be handling this match with all the decorum and understanding we would expect. (laughs) <laughs> no, unlikely. Odds are good that the newspaper editors all over the UK will have been dusting off the 1940s thesaurus to find out as many derogatory terms that they can be rammed into their shitty puns for their front and back pages. Yeah,
1: I... D- this is a very shameful part. And we are seeing a lot of this being brought back up again on Twitter. The 1996 front pages and back pages, which were all based on war jokes. It's, it's just, it's, it's mortifying
0: to see it now. Uh, it's really embarrassing. I wrote, I wrote a blog about it because that's what I do when I get stressed out or angry. Better write it down. So I wrote a blog about it and I kind of, part of me felt like it's to be expected. I don't think it's as bad as it was in 1996 yet. They have used the word enemy in one of the headlines and they have a couple of like hair puns, like here we go again. But I mean, that's pretty mild considering they had a picture of Gaza and Stuart Pierce with World War One British soldiers helmets on on the back page before the semi-final in 1996 so Pierce in our time I think was the the headline for that one as soon as it was confirmed that England would play Germany you just saw yeah. a lot of that stuff on Twitter on the hashtag I suppose it's my own fault for looking at the hashtag you're going to find that stuff yeah I think that's the dangerous Twitter game you're playing but with yourself. just people posting pictures of spitfires and stuff like that it's just, just really lame frankly just find it really it's a bit embarrassing, more than anything else. It's, it's moments like this where I'm happy that the podcast isn't a huge success <laughs>
1: because otherwise we'd be dealing with inbox DMs uh, slagging us off
0: for being anti-English. I don't, know. I don't think it's anti-English to go like maybe when we play other football teams, we don't need to bring up every conflict we've had with them. It's the same as the French.
1: What? That's that's just, that's the definition of anti-Englishness in in the eyes of these gangs. I find
0: I find it just really doesn't. Burr. The only bit you know is like the bit from the film. Don't yeah, it's like oh we play France or oh, Napoleon and Waterloo. It's just like oh, uh, <laughs> just like shut up. It just doesn't do anything for us. It's like. I don't know why why that needs to be a necessity. Like I think the football story is way more interesting as well. Like I've read an article. This is the thing, it is yeah. I read an article that said uh, the, the German fans are they still annoyed about 1966 and how that the goal that wasn't really a goal. And I was just kind of like, I don't think they are. You know, most of the people I speak to have not even referenced 1966. I don't think anyone really cares. Like they don't have like any deep feelings for. There's
1: definitely no no bad blood there. Like yeah. whenever I've talked about it with big football fans, they've always dealt with it and there's. Okay, yeah we'll let you have that
0: one that's cute we're fine <laughs> we've got
1: four fucking World Cups yeah. I, I don't
0: think, I think they're very
1: much over it now <laughs> well it's
0: kind of even when they do badly I remember 2002 and everyone's like it's a terrible Germany team got the final I'd take a final. I'd you, I was happy with the semi-final in the World Cup. I was like, yeah. I went out and I wasn't even that bummed. Oh well, we made it a semi-final. That's the best I could have hoped for. Really, um,
1: um, getting out of the groups without scoring a really stupid own goal. That's fine. I, I'm. That's that's a successful tournament for us yet yeah, at the moment. Apparently,
0: England's the the first team to the lowest scoring team to top their group in the European Championships, ever.
1: Yeah, just wait, my
0: hair. Harry Kane's going to score 10. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. There is a certain kind of wonderful in the England-Germany game. For England fans of our age, it can be the case that the first major memories of an international football tournament would be Euro 96. We played Scotland as well at that tournament, though the end came with a famous penalty shootout with Germany. Of course, the player who missed the final penalty for us that day is now the man in the waistcoat on the touchlines, our manager. Gareth Southgate. Uh, every time I think about it, I remember being in school and having a wall chart and we're tracked like, all the way through the tournament, England's results. And then the day after we went out, the teacher... Yeah. Taken it down, and everyone just being really depressed about it. It was really like that's, that's uh, the way to handle it. Yeah, it was totally grim. Everyone just felt really bad. it. Never happened. It. Yeah, just yeah, it was totally like forget about it. But um, and also, it's because the tournament was in Newcastle, there was like games, I think Croatia played in Newcastle. It felt like you were all part of this sort of experience, but it all ended pretty, pretty dismally, sadly. And of course, with penalties, um, which are terrifying. The England team <laughs> has deep connection to
1: penalty shootout losses these days as England fans like we're resigned to defeat if it does get to penalties so I mean I'm hoping there'll be a nice twist in the tale because we have now won a penalty shootout in a competitive game so there is now mild precedent for things to not go awfully like in my head I just hope that Gareth Southgate like sneakily like has registered himself as a squad member and then we'll just sub himself on uh, for the penalty shootout take the first one and
0: hammer it down the middle and then rip off his waistcoat and run around. (laughs) I mean, that'd be very English style of celebration. Take your tops off. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I'm way more excited than nervous for the game. And it's the first time I've seen a meaningful England versus Germany game in Germany since I moved here. So I just drink it in, basically. Take it all in, enjoy Mm. the experience, because it's going to be interesting either way. How people react. It's also the first time I think
1: a lot of my German friends have been messaging me saying like that they think England might win. And that's never happened before that I've been we're being sold as as a marginal favourite that we could actually beat this team. Whereas before it was always a very, very strong underdog story that we we're gonna have to pull everything out to get any kind of victory. Whereas Yeah, i say the messages I'm getting are that people are definitely concerned. The pundits during the game said they'd rather face England because they thought it'd be an easier game than Switzerland. And that upset me a little bit because I'm English and I'm not Swiss. But I do think that that we we have a team that can cause problems, but we can't defend uh, as well as we might need to against a strong Germany. So I'm hoping it's going to be like 5-4 just a gold bonanza and everyone can just end in tears and hugs and that our wives are still talking to us at the end of it well that's
0: the thing i'm actually more concerned about is will either of us still be married by the end of the football (laughs) match I'd like The football's one thing, but my wife said she's going out on Tuesday. And I said, like, all right, cool. And she said, I'm going out. She's going out? You no, know, well, that's the thing. She's going out. And I was like, but it's the game. She's like, I'll be back for the game. And I was like, oh, when like, she gets excited, she doesn't care about football. Today, at least, she's been the most sarcastic, I think, uh, she's ever been in all the time I've known her, which concerns me for the game. Because if Germany do well, <laughs> she's just going to take the piss out of us because she's, she's really good at it epic levels of shithousery i think and uh, <laughs> and so i'm a little bit concerned that come tuesday we'll be drawing up divorce papers but when it became clear that we we're going to pay germany my wife turned to me and
1: we're watching the football she's like okay so our, our marriage is going to be tested on tuesday <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> I really enjoyed that it's like ikea <laughs> <laughs> germany yeah that's the two the
0: two greatest tests of of your relationship will be going to Ikea and watching <laughs> your two national teams play each other. Well, whatever happens on Tuesday night, let's hope that we're all still speaking with our wives on Wednesday morning.
1: Indeed. Before we leave football behind for another episode, we would quickly like to give a shout-out to the Falvo K Stadium in Augsburg, Nick's hometown, of course. Uh, As you've likely heard and as we spoke about last week, the plan for the Hungary-Germany game in Munich was for the stadium to be illuminated in rainbow colours in support of the LGBTQ community. This was particularly necessary as legislation passed by Hungary's parliament bans gay people from featuring in school educational materials, or TV shows for
0: under-18s. Munich City Council said it had wanted to illuminate the stadium in order to send a signal of support for inclusivity and diversity, but UEFA said in a statement it had no choice than to reject the action on the grounds that it contravened its regulations as a political and neutral organisation. Horse shit. It, it It said this due to the political context of the application. Munich's mayor, Dieter Reiter, has attacked the shameful decision by UEFA to quash the city's plans to illuminate its Allianz Arena in rainbow colours. Dieter Reiter was reported to be planning instead to illuminate a wind turbine opposite the stadium in rainbow colours. Football stadiums elsewhere in Germany, including Augsburg, Cologne and Frankfurt, pledged to fill the void and light up instead. So, well done to other stadiums, and get fucked, UEFA, bunch <laughs> of shitbags. Very, so. very, very much,
1: so. Our next story for us this episode, and it's about a place hundreds of kilometres and many levels of conservatism from our Bavarian homes, Berlin. Berlin for sure does things differently from most cities in Germany, in almost every way imaginable, but still there are national consistencies. DM is everywhere as is Beck and Lidl and Aldi. One shop that Berlin has that we do not down in Bayern is one that sells LSD. Crikey! That's right, Berlin now has its very own LSD shop thanks to a loophole in the law
0: Since opening in March this small shop has been exploiting this legal loophole by selling an LSD analogue called 1CP-LSD a recently developed substance that most governments haven't got round to banning yet labelled as a research chemical hmm that's what I like to call it When it's in stock, there are usually crowds of customers in and out each day buying micro-dosing, mini-dosing, full-dosing, or extra-dosing tabs in batches of 5 to a 100. little research has been carried out on this drug, but one study found that it's a pro-drug that the human body converts to LSD. I mean,
1: I like that there are levels, because obviously we hear a lot about micro-dosing as being a possible uh, treatment for depression and PTSD and things like that, mm-hmm. so it's very exciting stuff. But I am very concerned about extra dosing <laughs> the, the triple yeah. XL LSD tabs. Yeah, that, that sounds a little scary.
0: It does seem like it's a bit fill your boots. Uh, it's the kind of thing that gets it banned very quickly when you're just dishing it out like it is candy. Psychedelics, you've got to be careful. You hear a lot of stories about LSD and how it using too much of it and how it impacts you psychologically. There's obviously health benefits been observed for depression and other psychological conditions but yeah it's not the kind of thing where it's like buy one get one free
1: if you are that hardcore just take two full doses and don't go and buy what I need extra dosing thank you very much yeah
0: I-, I need loads I need loads of this stuff in my system
1: interestingly most of the customers are men Uh, which I
0: think says a lot about why there's extra dosing there. I want to be really, really high. Get off my face. (laughs) Yeah, so using psychedelics to treat mental health problems or achieve enlightenment is nothing new. Recent global drug survey results show that increasing numbers of people are using them to self-medicate disorders, such as anxiety and depression. And there's also scientific research suggesting they may be effective at helping. However, the exact role they play is still poorly understood. On top of that, the business of synthetic drug dealing doesn't always run smoothly. Germany is set to make 1CP-LSD illegal by the time this episode is released. Boo! (laughs) The owner of this (laughs) LSD... The owner of this LSD Laden says he is hoping his Netherlands based supplier, Lizard Labs, will develop an alternative, one that would skirt or avoid the new legislation. However, if the entire drug group is made illegal, which might happen, then the next legal LSD like substance will be quite different and potentially more dangerous. As long as the suppliers keep developing substances at rates drug laws are unable to keep up with, there will still be a loophole for them to do this legally. One of the things I'm what I wonder is how quickly Germany will get drug legislation in place because it's not like the German government moved particularly fast plus I think they've they've finished sitting for the moment Mm -hmm. I guess that won't be something that happens until after the summer or after the election so it might depend on who's in government or it could depend on the local regional parliament perhaps I would have thought that it would take a bit of time before it like if they suddenly like turn up tomorrow and go i've made it illegal i'll be like hey hang on how come you're making drug laws so quickly that doesn't work for all the other laws From,
1: from the articles i read this this is a long process as you point out and the criminalization of this particular type of chemical would have taken months to do of course you make the compound like the the chemical sort of structure illegal And so then all they have to do in lizard labs or whichever uh, supplier it is out there in the world is change the structure and then suddenly it's not illegal anymore. And this is really the the struggle that Mm. that governments around the world are facing with these legal highs and alternative drugs because they're not really the drugs that we think they are. They're sort of like knock-off versions of them that don't have the research or the history of use behind them and this can lead to huge, huge problems.
0: It's like the the synthetic cannabis they have in the UK and there was some horrific news stories about... The kind of literally mind numbing effects, or like people were going into rages from smoking too much of it. Look, they said LSD is slightly different because it's a chemical compound in a different way than, say, synthetic cannabis is made. I think the
1: prison service has been really public about how dangerous these synthetic cannabis are. This is double edged sword of this kind of drug legislation that the UK has and their approach to criminalization of drugs. For you as a consumer, it makes more sense to go into a shop and buy some legal alternatives because then you can avoid prosecution but if the end result of that is brain damage and all sorts of psychoses that happen obviously not for a moment claiming that cannabis doesn't have related or, or the same issues but the fact of the matter is when cannabis is is policed in a way that's being now done in america almost across 50 percent of their states now where medical and recreational cannabis is now in different forms legal you have a chain of knowledge that's really really important i think for the end user if you go to a a cannabis shop in LA, and buy your cannabis. You will be able to know when it was grown, what farm it was grown on, the name of the farmer that grew it, and that is, is huge to be able to trace back problems. Because yeah, drugs aren't for everyone, and can of course cause huge problems. But being able to know where the origin of it is, is is a massive way to stop death or whatever if there are poisons or whatever involved. And the the, the spice market in the UK and other countries that have it is. completely void of that so you're just putting out the fire as opposed to be able to look at where that fire started i
0: think spice is illegal in the uk wholly isn't it now i think they made it illegal it was banned in 2016 but the problem was it was you didn't know the strength of it the people in the shop couldn't tell you there was no regulation and i think ultimately that's just going to cause problems it would be like selling bottles of vodka and just going ah what percentage is this vodka and you're like i don't know And you could get one that was 20% and the one that was like 90% proof and you'd just be like, rocket fuel. So it's totally insane. But it's interesting this time in the German elections that it's the first time, I think, that I've I've noticed it at least that that three of the major parties, if not four maybe of the major parties of all, Got some kind of drug legislation, legalization message in their manifesto or promises about what they would do. Green Party obviously are leading the pack with that. But people like taking drugs. Like it's why people drink beer. It's why people like people like that stuff. And if you don't regulate it, then you're gonna have real problems. <laughs> you know, like the
1: 1950s propaganda about cannabis, in particular, has has proven to be massively off base. And public opinion is very much behind it. And I think now we've had approaching 10 years uh, of. Med- and recreational cannabis in certain parts of the US and we've seen, generally speaking the numbers related to crime have done really well there hasn't been a massive uptick in in black market shenanigans and the huge benefit of course is there are billions of dollars in tax revenue available to the states some people don't like the message of like paying for a new school with weed but if you got a new school that's fantastic uh, and that's what these communities need more than strong legislation
0: criminalizing a pretty weak drug that's the thing that drives us crazy though is you look at the cdu's manifesto and they're talking about we're going to do this for you we're going to save the environment and we're going to fix all the infrastructure issues we're not going to raise taxes though and say so, well how do you yeah. pay for it we're going to go back to having a balanced budget now so you're not actually going to do anything sustainable you're going to throw a little bit of money at the problem and walk away you don't want to raise taxes you don't want to raise the national debt then you've got to find a way of making money it's a pretty big obvious way you can make money here you know uh, there's a big big option you've got if you think about sensible policy towards this sort of stuff I could you could build more schools you could do more stuff with that with that money
1: in 2020 in oregon which is a small state for population they raised $133 million in, in marijuana tax revenue. That's a few schools, mm-hmm. a few hospitals, that's an improvement in public infrastructure.
0: It's sensible legislation. You don't want to turn your, your cities into, into a mini Amsterdams, so Then just make it illegal for people who aren't resident in the country to use it. Like That's easy enough done.
1: All of these states have have laws that you can't smoke out in the public. Like, yeah. You can't walk down the street in Portland, Oregon smoking weed. That is illegal. You have to do it in a private residence that's
0: what you want to do yeah
1: it's it's really it's it's not a challenging thing and of course lockdown
0: (laughs) is a pretty good time (laughs) to get this it's not it's not called a recreational drug for nothing anyway (laughs) the guy that opened and runs this this lsd shop in berlin is called carl philip trump oh that's an interesting yeah. name. As it happens, he claims to be distantly related to former US President Donald Trump, saying that his father comes from the same village, Kalstadt, and that the Trump family come from there. Mm, seems a bit tenuous and just a weird thing. Like, you would, I wouldn't want to be connected. I'd be like, no, I yeah. have nothing to do with this fucking awful horrible orange prick it says a lot about him doesn't it that he's he wants to talk about that. this trump the owner of the lsd shop is the is a former bitcoin trader he attended a catholic school that was recently had a scandal over child abuse he's had quite an interesting sort of background he's a bit of a conspiracy theorist he's well known for arguing the, his points with his customers pretty interested dude right so he regularly bought one cp lsd online to take himself so he knew it was possible to sell and after seeing others selling it he said i went to the lawyer and got a document written up stating it was legal however he didn't have enough money to open a physical store right away and even when he did his rightly concerned landlord insisted on several months rent up front sensible guy (laughs) It's say you're selling what now right well uh I'll need some
1: and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Laden fr-
0: <laughs> Out front there's a sign that says "Wir Verkaufen LSD. We sell it. <laughs> we sell LSD <laughs> and inside there's a huge psychedelic <laughs> animal mural <laughs> hiding in plain sight. Respect. He probably has a dark light as well, doesn't he? He could have just called <laughs> it like
1: Lieber Sex and then have the LSD instead of just being so on the nose. We sell LSD.
0: You gotta gotta tell the masses, you know. You gotta gotta get your message out there somehow. This guy knows what he's gotta get that rent back. Yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to see how this story goes, but I can't help but feel that this will just end with the shop being closed down after the, the, it's finally banned. But we'll see. Yeah, it seems like he's protecting
1: himself from prosecution by having this this uh, document from his lawyer. But I I think. His shop will be taken from him at some point. He might have the shop, but he won't be able to sell it. Yeah, he can
0: just turn to a bakery. There's always, there's always call for another bakery in Germany, I'd say.
1: <laughs> Talking about this let's travel back in time five years and go to a homeopathy conference in Handelau, south of Hamburg. Emergency services arrived on the scene there and found a group of 29 alternative healers hallucinating, staggering around, groaning and rolling on the grass. Police spokesman Lars Nicholson said at the time that investigators believed the psychedelic drug was to blame but remained unsure of how or why it was taken. Nicholson added the police suspect the group took 2CE known in Germany as Aqua Rust, a drug which heightens perceptions of colours and sounds and in higher doses triggers hallucinations, psychosis and severe cramps. The drug 2CE was one of hundreds synthesised by the American chemist Alexander Shulgin, who died in 2014 but during his life became known as the godfather of ecstasy after he introduced MDMA to psychotherapists on the US west coast in the late 1970s. The
0: homeopath meeting builders' further education seminar, I bet there was a lot of further education there, to be perfectly honest. It sounds like. <laughs> the little it. doses. Yeah, was suspended shortly after it started when delegates began experiencing psychotic hallucinations, cramps, racing heartbeats, and shortage of breath. One of them alerted the emergency services. Good guy. Alarmed by the sight of so many grown men and women rolling around on the floor, the first fire crews in the scene called for backup, triggering a major incident response. A total of 160 police, fire crews, and ambulance staff and a helicopter were involved in the four-hour operation to treat the group it's just what this group needed not 160 police officers <laughs> never say that the german police don't take drug crime seriously you know that's not a waste of resources whatsoever <laughs> but i guess i guess you're in a situation where you've just got these people who are totally whacked out and you've no idea what they've taken reading the story no one's taken responsibility and or took responsibility for it it could well have been someone being spiked or or it was like an experiment and I think that, that it's not really clear even today, six years later, what had actually happened. I'd had a look and tried to find some stuff on it, but I couldn't find any recent updates on it. If I said to you, I went to a conference of homeopaths and they dished out a load of LSD, would you be surprised? I think you'd only be surprised that it wasn't mixed into a little bottle of water, and then that water was mixed into another bottle of water, and then that bit of bottle of water was mixed into another bottle of water, and then they took it and all pretended that they were high off their faces on LSD. That would be your only surprise, surely. But it does seem like the kind of thing you would experience at an alternative healing seminar or something.
1: Further education seminar. Yeah, yeah like, Let's give it the title they chose. What
0: was the first <laughs> seminar? Was it like this is how you roll a bifter? And then the second seminar was like advanced <laughs> techniques. It seems on the money. I reckon they were just trying to have a good time. It, it sounds like it's got the recipe for it. Like you're in a room with a load of people that believe the same stuff as you.
1: <laughs> Whack a load of LSD, you're gonna have a, a pretty good time. But I mean, yeah, the psychotic hallucinations. I, I've never had psychotic hallucinations, <laughs> and I'm, I'm thankful for that. No, me neither. That sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. <I'm... laughs>
0: I wake up every morning. and Thank God that I don't have psychotic hallucinations. Too to fucking right. If you were, again, if you go to a homeop- a conference with homeopaths, wouldn't you want some LSD? Because you wouldn't want to sit around those lunatics for lunatics. too long. Okay, like uh, the association <laughs>
1: of German healing practitioners. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: you call them what you want (laughs) we all have we all have our names distance themselves
1: (laughs) from this incident and emphasize that hallucinogenic drugs had no place in the study of homeopathy so yeah really set a line in the sand there uh quote if i find out that one of our members took part in what happened in handle they will be excluded from the association so there's a lot to, a lot on the line he <laughs> won't be allowed to go to these further education seminars as uh, so that's Heinz Kruppmann's uh, the association president uh, in an interview with NDR saying that
0: done and dusted <laughs> well yeah i guess that's like the best weekend you could have I went to a home past conference i took some lsd and then got banned from ever coming back to the homeopathy past conference <laughs> thank you thank you come again. don't come again no i mean don't come again yeah yeah result perfect best weekend ever
1: <laughs> so we're signing up for next year's conference then. the sounds of it yeah
0: yeah if I'm going to be like where are the micro doses decades that's from home not. live from the homeopathy <laughs> this is me going you're wrong you're wrong that's not how it works <laughs> oh dear they'll be chasing me down the street with their crystals okay <laughs> So that story leads us ever so nicely into the world of traditional German medicine. The German reliance on over-the-counter traditional remedies or homeopathy might seem like a national cognitive dissonance, given that Germany is one of the largest producers and exporters of pharmaceuticals in the world. It also has a tremendously large and well-respected healthcare system that has bridged the gap between private and public options. With affordable healthcare, a reality and a legal requirement of residency, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Germany had moved far beyond the folksy wisdom of the past for dealing with medical complaints. However, the use of herbal and traditional over-the-counter remedies has actually increased in the last 10 years to almost 10 billion euros. How much of that is LSD? We don't know for sure.
1: 10 billion, that's that's a massive market.
0: (laughs) A lot of money. A lot of money.
1: Most Germans have a drawer full to the brim with various herbal and fruit teas. Well... Still others will swear by different oils or vitamin supplements. When Germans fall ill, they're more than likely to attempt to self-medicate before considering calling a doctor. Even once a medical expert is involved, a not insignificant number of Germans using herbal or traditional remedies will not inform the doctor, often for fear of being ridiculed.
0: I think there's obviously a difference between certain... Remedies that uh, have a scientific background and and others that don't. I mean, there's plenty of homeopathic doctors yeah. around. I know people who've come back from a doctor and they've, they've gone, "Oh, I've been given this bottle of magical liquid," and it's like, "Who did you go see? Did you go see the doctor or your fairy godmother?" It's it's quite common. It, I wouldn't. I tell you, when when I had my back trouble. I couldn't have called the note arts fast enough. I was like, get me some drugs. I need drugs in my spine. And after putting me through some sort of torture, he did give me a massive dose of, I think it was cortisone, which is exactly what I needed at that moment.
1: I mean, I think that's sort of the big area, isn't it? Like When you're dealing with incredible pain, mm-hmm. there is, there's nothing really in the natural cabinet of, of ointments that's really going to yeah. hit the spot quite the same way as a whole host of opioid based things. Like yeah, if, if I've got minor ailments, I'm more than happy to give it a go, but when it comes to like the treatment of pain, I'm very very western. <laughs> yeah, I think
0: you don't see it in war films, do you? You don't see in a war film like a character get severely injured and then the homeopathic doctor runs up with like I've got this diluted bit of like seaweed, like I'll rub it.
1: Asteroid as well. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll rub it
0: on your gums and hopefully it'll. Like no, give me the morphine, you moron! <laughs> like give me the the heavy stuff. Germany has garnered a reputation for being a highly modern and scientifically minded country, at least among non-Germans. Obviously, the reliance on unscientific remedies puts this into question. What studies have shown is that the decision to opt for traditional approaches chimes with common complaints about the German medical system. Users of traditional medicine, when questioned, have suggested that the liberal use of aggressive prescription drugs within German healthcare had motivated their search for gentler traditional options. Others believe that their own doctor's refusal to consider traditional or herbal medicine was a signal that they were dogmatic and proved that doctors were too easily swayed by their connections to the large German pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, it's a fair argument, I'd say.
1: I mean, this is the interesting narrative, isn't it? Isn't it? It's really easy to be like you, we all know in Germany that these massive multi-billion-dollar companies exist, and they do have massive lobbying power and influence. So yeah, it's it's easy to see that side of
0: it. I totally i, I get that argument. I understand the concern you'd have over large pharmaceutical companies and their involvement in the healthcare industry because it's not always following the Hippocratic oath. I think at the same time, like most doctors are based in science. <laughs> you know, they're not they're not just going to be throwing any old shit at you. Uh, at least you'd hope that. The answers given in the study highlighted the uncertainty over a for-profit healthcare system, but also gave an insight into the cultural factors that motivate Germans to seek out traditional remedies. The first was that traditional medicines are, as the name suggests, traditional and represented the collected knowledge of generations of Germans. This speaks to the ain't broke, don't fix it mentality, often seen throughout Germany, as well as the strong sense of unbreakable local tradition that runs through every state in Germany, even those states that prefer to see themselves as very modern. The second response was, the traditional remedies gave the patient a feeling of control and responsibility this speaks to the general desire of germans to be in control of their own destiny or at least to feel like they are prepared for the long term multi-layered insurance contracts can only give a person a certain level of assurance if you don't have fire flood dragon uh, ninja warrior insurance like (laughs) what are you doing you're just wasting your time aren't you you've what you come to expect isn't it there's a lot of elements of german thinking in there Mm. there is like a desire to be in charge of your own destiny for sure i'm not sure how much of that I buy into it, to be honest. But men, though, and men are pretty terrible about going to see doctors. Each generation takes it a little bit better. I mean, my granddads,
1: both of them were were really, really awful. I, I actually, I do go and see my doctors. But then again, I have health conditions. I mean, I do have to have checkups on a relatively mm. regular basis. So I think if, if I didn't have these conditions, I probably wouldn't go ever. Yeah, it's not something <laughs> I have really,
0: I, I, I wanna, don't have a regular relationship with my doctor, but I, I suppose we're getting to, to a point in our lives where that's going to just be a reality. I'm clawing at the, the dying of the light at the moment. <laughs> the distrust of medical expertise is a disturbing trend that is on the rise throughout the world. And it would be very easy to assume that the use of unusual or at least less than scientific approaches would be an indicator that Germany is following the trend set by countries such as the UK or the US. Although distrust of experts is certainly a factor, as can be seen with the Queer Denken marches and other protest movements, perhaps it has more to do with the other aspects of the German mindset, such as those of self-responsibility, belief in the process and long-term planning that have the largest impact. Gotta love it, man. If you don't know what you're doing in two and a half years time on the 6th of january then you're not doing it right sort your diaries out update them Mm, long-term planning (laughs) hello to that brings us to the end of the show we hope you enjoyed it Thanks to my experiment last week, I now know that there's at least one person listening to this at the end. Well done, Snooker, you play in the blinder. I don't want to spend my time trolling Simon with beard comments, so I'll leave off the secret messages this week. But Snooker, consider yourself a decades from home VIP. Anyway, thanks for listening, and thanks to those of you like Gabujozi, Z, Galaxy Note Sems, Sturger, Tane, and my favourite Italian Maurizio who retweeted the show last week much appreciated you lovely people if you'd like a shout out and our eternal gratitude retweet the show or tag us with hashtag decades from home or lowercase. as ever if you have any questions feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover you can tweet Simon on at decades from home and you can tweet me at 40% German you can also get us on 40percentgerman at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40percentgerman.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Demanschaft, ne? Demanschaft. Mannschaft.
1: I think I checked this.
0: Um...
1: Oh, d mannschaft Sorry.
0: Yes, I corrected Simon's German! Yes! That's, oh, it's coming down and giving a crap. <laughs> <laughs> i joking. You can leave that in. That's fine with me. I'm just going to save it and have it as my ringtone.